It is Wednesday on Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Glad to be back with you for another day and a good show coming up today. Uh, Kent Youngblood from the Star Tribune joins me here in just a little bit. Kent covers women's basketball primarily at the Star Tribune, including the Gophers and the Lynx, and a big one tonight for the Lynx. A game that, frankly, I'm surprised they are in on multiple levels. I mean, this is a team that started the year 0-6. Thought that maybe they were going to be playing more for a draft pick than the postseason, but they go 19-13 and in their next 32. Show that they're, you know, one of the better teams in the WBA. Probably not one of the best teams, but certainly one of the better teams in the league then they lose two at the end of the regular season they'd already clinched a playoff spot but they lose two miss out on a chance for a better seed have to play connecticut cheryl reeves upset they're not saying they're not listening to the game plans things like that they get blown out in game one of that three game series in connecticut you're thinking okay bags are packed for vacation time and instead they win game two force this game three which is strangely back at target center i don't understand the WNBA postseason format. It seems like, yes, it gives the better seed a chance to close things out with the first two games, but man, that is pretty punitive to have to go and travel to the lower seed for the clinching game of the series. I don't quite understand that format. I think you should just play all three at the uh, at the site of the higher seeded teams, kind of like baseball is doing it now with their best of three wild card round. But hey. That's just me. It works to the Lynx benefit, even though they've not been a great home team this year. Their their deciding game three is tonight, and Kent Youngblood and I will talk about that here in just a few minutes. Um, got some Vikings stuff towards the end of the show, just some kind of mulling over that I've been doing of kind of where they might go from here based on the outcome of what happens in Sunday's game against the Chargers. I'll get to that here in just a little bit as well. First, though, what did I miss? Twins win 7 nothing. That's the good news. Lead in the American League Central swells to 8 with just 10 to play. So that postseason spot getting much and much closer to being a lock instead of just a extreme likelihood. Willie Castro with a huge game in this one. Had a home run, made a big Two big catches, including a sliding catch to save a couple runs and a home run rob and grab as well. So big game for Willie Castro. Big game for Kenta Maeda, which I want to get to in a minute. But the more sobering news, Royce Lewis has to leave the game late with what they're calling hamstring tightness. Maybe not the worst thing in the world at this point. He's got two weeks pretty much until the playoffs start. Don't really need him in there right now to win games, but you need him in the playoffs. You need him in the postseason. This can't be something where he's going to be out for that. He's been your best player, your most important player for the second half of the season, without a doubt, at least as a hitter. Um, here was acting manager Jace Tingler after the game. Rocco Baldelli still out on paternity leave after the birth of his twins the other day. Um, but here was Jace Tingler kind of talking about the play that had happened on and where we might be going from here. Yeah, he came out with... Uh some tightness in the left hamstring, obviously, uh, fouled that ball off down the right field line, kind of grimaced a little bit and, uh, you know, went out there and, uh, left hand hamstring, uh, tightened up on him. So, uh, right now day to day and, um, you know, we'll, 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 we'll see over the next couple of days how he responds. 
I don't, you know, that was the first that uh, he had told us uh, was during that swing or whatever. I think the two at-bats before he had the infield hit, uh, so he was getting down the line and then uh, didn't really think much of it on the double play ball. Um, you know, he let up a little bit, but... Um, uh, you know, he's been battling some, some, you know, bruised heels, things like that. So we didn't, you know, think much of it. And uh, he didn't say anything until uh, that, that foul ball down the right field line. I don't know. Obviously, it came out of the game. Um, you know, you're, you're you're hoping for the best, but I think with you know these uh, you know hamstrings and and soft tissue, you don't really know. You don't really know until the next couple of days and see how he how how he responds. So um, I don't want to speculate or anything like that. It would just be a guess at this point. And again, you don't want to speculate, but of course. Like he's saying, with a soft tissue kind of injury like that, you want to be sure, you want to know what you're dealing with before you get too deep into it. The Twins do benefit. Like I said, they don't have a whole lot to play for anymore. They're probably not gunning for one of those top two seeds, but they are certainly, almost certainly going to win the AL Central. Like I said, up eight with 10 to play. Just have to win a few more times to clinch that, and they can do that fairly easily here in the next few days, I would imagine. So it's less a matter of where they're going in the next 10 days, but where they're going in early October. They need Royce Lewis, need him to get back. So we'll be monitoring that very closely down the stretch here. Now, the other thing we're going to be monitoring down the stretch very closely is who is going to pitch in that third game of the wildcard series or could potentially be if they win the first two. We presume Pablo Lopez and Sonny Gray are going to start the first two. I don't think that's in question right now. If it goes to a deciding game three in that wild card round, who would start the game? Or like I said, who would start game one probably of the next round of that division series if that's where we get to? Could change a little bit based on matchups, things like that. But Kenta Maeda making a bid that it should be him. He's got a lot of postseason experience through five shutout innings against a good Reds team on uh on Tuesday, making his case that it should be him. You've still got Joe Ryan battling for that, although he was roughed up a little bit on Monday. You've got Bailey Ober in that conversation, although he faltered a little bit down the stretch, got sent down to St. Paul to kind of straighten himself out, take a little break, things like that. Um, I don't think it's Dallas Keuchel, even though he's given them a little bit here when he's been uh, you know, subbing in for these other guys down the stretch. It's just an interesting question. The Twins have been, it's a little bit of a luxury because I think, I don't think you can really go wrong with any of those first three guys I mentioned. They've had a good, strong rotation this season and they definitely have the top two guys set for what they want to do. I'm just curious to to see what their line of thinking is as they think about who their game three starter might be. Do they want the experience and the savvy of Maeda, even though his stuff maybe isn't as good as some of those other guys? Do they give it to Ryan and say, hey, you're our future. This is our. You're our guy. Um, you know, you've you've had a really good year, except for when you were injured and then tried to pitch through that groin strain, things like that. Did they give it to Ober if he has some good if he has some good outings down the stretch here? I don't know. I really don't know where they're headed with that. My gut tells me right now they could potentially lean towards Kenta Maeda just because of his experience, because they know what they would be getting, and then could kind of back him up with some of those other guys in the in the uh, in the bullpen. Um, but it, it's a, it's a, and it's an interesting question. Don't even know if we're going to get to answer that question. Kind of depends on how the series goes. But that is something we are watching down the stretch, and some of it could be influenced, like I said, by how these guys perform in these final ten games. Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan. 
The passion, the hope, the anticipation, that incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino, let your story begin. Let's talk links today on Daily Delivery, and no better person to do that than Kent Youngblood of the Star Tribune does a fantastic job and has for a long time covering the uh, the WNBA and the Lynx uh, specifically. Kent, how are you? Good. How are you, sir? I am good. Thank you. I got to be honest. I didn't think that I would be talking to you this week, at least not about the Lynx. We could have talked about any other number of things just casually, but I didn't think that there would be a Game 3 in this playoff series against Connecticut, not with kind of the lead up to the end of the regular season where they lose their final two regular season games. Cheryl Reeve, their head coach and president of basketball operations gets after them pretty good, I would say. And then, you know, critiques their, you know, their willingness to listen to the game plan and kind of where they are going into the playoffs after that bad regular season loss. And then they lose game one by 30 in Connecticut. And you're like, okay, they've packed it in. Um, Connecticut just has to win one more home game. And it's over. And the Lynx go and win, um, what was it, Saturday, right? They win Saturday, force this game three on Wednesday back at Target Center. And now they're in a spot, Kent, where if they can win a home game, and granted, like we were talking about, like you were telling me before we started recording, they have not been a great home team. They've actually been a better road team this year. But what a massive advantage now if you can take advantage of your home court. You can win a playoff series that four days ago looked like no business being this competitive. Yeah, you're right. Uh, the second game was Sunday, by the way. But Sunday, anyway, my bad. Um, Sorry, my bad. Well, actually, interestingly enough, uh, the Lynx are the first team in league history to lose the game by 30 points and then go and win the next game in a playoff series. Wow. It's never never happened before. So, uh, And it was interestingly enough, when you think about the history of how great the Lynx were throughout the years, yeah, the first time in Lynx playoff history that two players have scored 25 points or more in the same game. That blows my mind. Like I, I can't believe that. Well, the only explanation I can give is that they had so many good players. Yeah. No two had to do everything. But, sure. uh, uh, and I think they're the fifth or sixth. Uh, McBride and Collier are the fifth or sixth. Uh, go 25 plus and eight plus in the wow. same game. So in order for them to, to win, Against better opponents, they have to play kind of perfectly. Um, you know, they beat Connecticut in Connecticut earlier this year with Collier yeah. Hurt. Right, I remember um, that. Because they played good defense. But I think the margin of error for the Lynx is, is so small that if any little thing goes wrong, things go sideways very quickly. So can they produce two essentially near-perfect defensive efforts? I don't know. Um, I think that uh, I think that Bonner and uh, Thomas are going to get theirs, but the difference between the first game and the second was that all the sporting cast scored like crazy, especially from three for Connecticut in the first game and did nothing in the second. So, with that in mind, with that as a backdrop, as I kind of you know referenced already, you know, Reeve gets after them after that that loss at the end of the regular season, they would have been able to play Dallas in the first round and not an easy matchup, but a much, I would say much more favorable matchup. Dallas, not 
probably in the same class as Connecticut. I think there's been, I think maybe Vegas and New York maybe separated themselves a little bit at the end of the year as a top two, but there were definitely, there was a top three in the league all year and Connecticut was in that mix. And then the, you know, you thought as they were going down the stretch, if the Lynx could get at least that five seed, they had a chance in the playoffs. Right. So that's probably why part of the reason why Cheryl Reeve was so upset with the way they finished the season, the loss to Indiana again, blew a chance to to have that. But in your mind, what was, what precipitated that? Was she trying to light a fire? Was she just that mad that she couldn't contain herself? Br- bring me back to that, that kind of started this journey that we're on right now. Well, I mean, Cheryl's never been one to hide her frustrations after a loss. That is true. I, mean, she, I think Royce got a good bit of glee from that uh, and actually wrote about it saying that the rest of the coaches in this market <laughs> should be as honest. He did. Um, but I mean, it was just, it was, um, it was defensive execution. Uh, it was closing out on the perimeter in, in both their last two regular season losses, they got killed from the perimeter. Uh, it was not making a team do one thing and allowing them to do anything because I think both their last two games of the regular season, they were killed on, in the paint and from behind the arc. Sure. Um, the help defense wasn't there. Uh, it's a little interesting that every time there's a loss, it's, the player's not following the coach's lead yes. and it's yes. never maybe the game plan, but that's, you know, that's fine. Um, but this team responds to that sort of thing. Uh, maybe not immediately because they <laughs> didn't play particularly good defense in game one, but that was a season opening game on the road and front of one of the better crowds in the league. That's not easy. And you had two, two rookies making their first playoff stop, uh, uh, start. Um, both rookies are a little bit more composed in the second game. I think that their back was against the wall, and they play good defense. When you play, when they play good defense, and they're not taking the ball out of the net. Their offense is okay. Um, but in order to win, they have to play great defense, and their big two of McBride and Collier have to have really big games. I think I might have sarcastically suggested that they should change the Lynx uh, final regular season standings to say. 19 times they listened to Cheryl Reeve and 21 times they didn't <laughs> listen to Cheryl Reeve. Uh, but I was, I was joking, but you know, I, I, I was kind of on that track where it, it seemed like it was, you know, it, it was uh, blaming the execution or blaming the fault, not following the game plan more than anything else, but maybe she's right. I mean, it, she's been doing this for a long time. She's won four championships. We give her the benefit of the doubt to a certain degree. Now is the disparity between how they played then in those games and game one and then winning game two, is that the difference between them then heeding that message? Is it them getting that fire lit or is it kind of what you spoke to a little bit, a little while ago where it's like, if they play defense, if they can play a perfect game and find that within them, they can be really good. But if they don't, they look really bad and there's just going to be nights where it's one or the other. Well, I think, I, I don't think there are very many games where the Lynx don't play hard. I think there's been a lot of games where they didn't play smart. Okay. Uh, and I think you can kind of tell that by how defensive possessions go. And I mean, if, if they're on their game and they're playing the pick and roll defensively correctly and they're helping each other correctly, 
they're closing out very nicely on threes. And when they're not, those threes are open. And again, in, in game one, a lot of those threes were open. And in game two, they weren't. Um, so I, I think it's execution. I think when you have as young a team as this one is, there's going to be a lot of fluctuation in in that sort of efficiency. Um, but I don't think they've ever not – I don't think they haven't played – I don't think it's been a matter of them not playing hard. I think it's been a matter of them playing smart. When they started 0-6, um, a lot of us, myself included, thought they might just be better off playing for 2024, playing for a draft pick, develop everybody – Hey, it's okay if this was, wasn't your year. There's a lot of good players that are presumably going to be available. If you get a high pick, maybe you get that franchise player and things look better in 2024 and beyond to pair with players you already have, like Collier, like McBride. And they said, no, we're we're going to keep competing. They end up making the playoffs, and now here they are. Were you When they were 0-6, did you? where were you at in terms of your thinking of a, where they would wind up, and B, kind of what their kind of what their thinking on the season was. Well, if you look at those first six games, they weren't getting blown out. You know, they were losing in some cases to good teams, um, but they were in they were in the game. Um, and this with. In a season that I think that she that Reed from the beginning has said was a developmental season, they they were going to finally put the vestiges. Sills gone. We're not going to try to push plug gaps and try to get into the playoffs. We're going to play the young kids and we're going to develop and wherever it goes, it goes. So having done that, I think there was always the intent to be competitive and to play as well as they could. I don't think it's in her DNA to intentionally lose games no, in order not. to get a draft pick. It's no. just, you know, and, and, and even with the WNBA lottery rules, I think much more fair than the NBA's. I just, there's no guarantee that even if you do tank that you're going to wind up with those picks anyway. So they stuck with the kids. They played them. Kids developed pretty well. Uh, they came together as a team, I think, very, very tightly. And they play for each other, and maybe they – I mean, they were a 19-21 and 21 team. It's not like they, yeah. you know, started 0-6 and, and then were unbeatable. But, you know, they started 0-6, and, and then they went 19-15, and uh, 15, right? Yeah, and 19-13 and 13 until those last two losses. So, yes. I mean, they were – they became a pretty good team in the middle of the season. You know, and and, and they've proven that Nafisa Collier is a superstar. I mean, she was – clearly an MVP candidate this year. Um, they've show, uh, McBride has had a great season. And they're going to have quite a lot of room to upgrade the team via free agency next year because I think the only people they have under contract are Collier, McBride, the two rookies, Shepard, and maybe one other player. So there's going to be a lot of money coming off the books. There's going to be a lot of flexibility. Now, there's going to have to get people to come here. She struck yes. out at doing that last year. Right. But I think it's easier to do that when you've shown that you can be a playoff team than it yes. is if you're asking a veteran to join a six-win operation. Yeah, I think that's fair. Speaking of those rookies, I mean, 
Diamond Miller got a lot of the headlines as the number two overall pick, but their second round picks given him a lot this year, especially in a league where second round picks don't often make that much of a contribution right away. Um, kind of a history of second round success here. With yes. Crystal Dangerfield, I think, drafted in the same mm-hmm. spot as Dorica. Uh, I think she's been the more steady of the two. Yeah. Um, she has done a great job of using her angles and and defending in the post, and she's been a very steady rebounder and she led the team in assists, I think, on Sunday. Very heady player, very calm, unflappable. Um, you know, when Miller really flashes, you can see the upside and the ceiling there. Um, but boy, I think I think Dork has been far steadier and more reliable game in and day out, day out of the two rookies. Do they only draft UConn players then? Seems like they do pretty well at that. And she she likes UConn players, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> she she thinks that UConn players come here ready to go, having been in big spots, um, coachable. I mean, if you can play for Gino, you can play for Cheryl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> because you're going to get a lot of the same stuff. Um, no question they love UConn. I mean, Fee's UConn, and Dork is UConn, and Crystal was UConn. They like you. A couple more things. Now, we you know talked about what got them here, and obviously the big win on Sunday has put them in a position. I think you alluded to this a little bit already, but now, you know, home crowd on Wednesday, probably in a little bit of the same spot that you and I are, probably surprised that there is this game after seeing how things had gone. What do you what do you expect Wednesday? What what should we expect Wednesday? I think this might be a cliche, but I think I think the first five minutes are really going to tell the story of the game because you know how, I mean, in, in any sport where the postseason is a series of games, there's such a swing of emotions one way to the next. I mean, the links get blown out in game one and they come out and play like they did on Sunday. There's a lot of playoff experience on that Sun team. And they've been, we were at the finals last year. They've been yeah. in the, they've been past the first round the last six years. They're not going to, they're going to, you can expect them to come in and play an A game. So in order for the Lynx to win, even with a raucous home crowd, they're going to have to play great defense. They're going to play it consistently. They're going to have to rebound and they're going to have to not turn the ball over. They, Allowed 30 points and turnovers in the first game. I think only six a second. They only had oh, nine wow. turnovers the whole yeah. game. Okay. So, I mean, you'll know, I think, right off the bat, what kind of team the Suns are going to be. Connecticut won't be surprised. I mean, I don't think they would take the Lynx lightly, but if you beat a team by 30 in the first game, I have to imagine there's an element of, hey, this this team might just go away without having to to do all the things you had to do. I'm sure they, I guess that's a, a way of saying, I'm sure the Lynx have their attention if they didn't have their attention before. Well, you know, there was a little bit of feistiness in that last game too. Uh, Alyssa Thomas and Diamond got into it at one point after Alyssa basically threw Miller to the floor and Miller got up and chirped. Um, yeah, I think that everybody will, I think that both teams are, going to be ready for this one. I think it should be a good game. Yeah, I think it'll be I think it's fun. I mean, I I what I mean, you know, they they missed the playoffs in 22. They 
made it in 21, right? But they were they went out right away because it was a different format. Yeah, they had the one game elimination still there in the first two rounds. And, you know, 2020, they advanced, but that was COVID. That was the bubble. That was something entirely different. Like, I mean, in terms of like, you know, an actual series, like they haven't played a game like this at Target Center for a while, right? No, I mean, it's probably, well, if you consider that the last time they won a title was in Williams Arena. Uh, <laughs> a year they played. It's been a long Maybe they played a lot of six. they played a lot of XL that year, didn't they? Yeah, may, maybe um, maybe uh, Game Five of 2016. Yeah, Neka Gumake put back with one second left or something. Yeah, well, they would. I mean, in terms of uh, in ter- I mean, that's the last time they played an elimination game at at home. Yeah, that's right. Because 17 was. Did they win that one in four? Was that what? No, seventeen. They we went five. It was at Target, and then, uh, no, seventeen was at Williams Arena. Okay. Uh, Sixteen was at Target Center, okay. and fifteen was at Target Center. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, it, yeah, it should be fun. I mean, I I think you're right. I think that it's maybe high house money is there is maybe the wrong term, and you know the gambling analogy maybe doesn't work. But I'm sure maybe they don't think of it that way. But you know, in a season maybe where they didn't people didn't think they were even going to make the playoffs to be in a spot where they could advance in the playoffs has to feel like it's, it's pretty significant to them. Uh, one last little nugget. Um, yeah. Maya Moore and Caleb Wright are the only two links players in history to hit six threes in a playoff game. We'll see what's in store on, uh, on Wednesday. Should be, should be a good one. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm surprised, but I'm glad I like, I like big games. We like big moments. It's, it's fun to see them, get this opportunity and you know what who knows right they've they won sunday they can win wednesday it's that's why they that's why they roll it out there exactly appreciate it kent we'll be following your coverage from wednesday's game and setting it up along the way and uh, we'll talk to you again down the road all right thanks i always appreciate catching up on the links with kent youngblood one of the best in the business at covering the WNBA and some good perspectives heading into this big game tonight at Target Center, like I mentioned, like we talked about. You know, it's it's an opportunity for this team, this franchise, to to maybe have a surprise ad, you know, advancement in the playoffs here. I don't think anybody predicted at the start of the year and certainly maybe at the start of this series that they would be in this position with a chance to get to the next round of the playoffs. One of the bigger games that's going to be played since really their big run in 20, you know, their big dynasty in, you know, in the 20, in the 2010s, you know, they had those four championship teams, the last one in 2017. Since then in the playoffs, they're two and seven in playoff games. And, you know, they're probably their best run, their best season came in the bubble in 2020. So, you know, a, a chance to maybe, you know, elevate things to have target center raised to a level that they haven't been at for a while. So we will see where they get to in this game. But the, the opportunity to be there is a surprise, is a surprise from the start of the year, how things went, and from the finish of the year as well. Speaking of the finish, let's finish with the cooler. Let's talk a little bit about the Vikings, especially in the context of a lot of the things we just talked about with the Lynx. Now, I wrote on Tuesday about how, you know, the Vikings are sitting here, they're 0-2. What happens if they lose this game Sunday? They are home underdogs, like Royce and I talked about yesterday, home underdogs 
to another winless team, the Chargers, which tells you a little bit about what people think of them, you know, based somewhat on last year and them being a little bit of a mismatch in terms of how they played and what their record was, a 13-4 and season, but a negative point differential last year and a quick exit in the playoffs. Came into this season with a lot of new players, a lot of question marks, wondering what this team would be. They haven't gotten blown out, but of course the disappointing week one loss to Tampa Bay, losing to Philadelphia at Philadelphia, all the turnovers, all the fumbles, that is not likely to continue. But the other thing I've been thinking about is, well, a lot of the things that have been going well, those are not automatic to, automatic to continue. Kirk Cousins has been very accurate with his passes so far, even if he's fumbled a few times. Two really that were his fault, although both of them big hits on big pass rushes. Then the bizarre one with Ed Ingram that he was credited with the fumble on. Um, he's going to throw some interceptions at some point. He's going to have a game where he's off target, doesn't play as well as he has. Um, the defense isn't always going to make the stops it's made, things like that. So the things that have gone well... You can't count on those things to continue going well, even if they clean up this turnover battle. But the bigger, the larger takeaway is this. I'm fixated right now on what if they lose? What if they get to 0-3? Feels like if they get to 0-3 after this game, it could have a cascading effect on the season. They could, you know, decide... Okay, 0-3, barely anybody in history makes it back from 0-3 to make the playoffs. I think one of the last 99 teams since 2002, I saw that in a Bill Barnwell story on ESPN earlier this week, one out of 99 rebounded from 0-3 to make the playoffs. And if it had been this seven-team in each conference format, only one other would have made it. So 2-99 chance, let's just say, of rebounding to make the postseason. Now, the Vikings probably still feel like they're a good team, but at 0-3, the odds would be very much stacked against them would that eventually give way to some trade deadline moves um you know Royce didn't think too much of that yesterday you know the NFL is not a league where a lot of lower a lot of guys get dealt at the deadline it's not like baseball or basketball or hockey where the trade deadline spurs action and I get that but the Vikings might be tempted to do that because a they would know that they're you know, playing for the future. B, a lot of their best players are on one-year contracts, essentially Kirk Cousins, Daniel Hunter, guys like that. And C, they might be motivated to not necessarily win much the rest of the year. And if you have Kirk Cousins and Daniel Hunter on your roster still, you will be in a spot where you might win more than you necessarily want to because you are playing for a draft pick. So anyway, food for thought there. But the links offer the counterweight to that, right? It's way too early to give up on a season at 0-2 and probably even at 0-3, even if the odds are stacked against you. The Lynx were 0-6. They're in the playoffs now. They took advantage of a, you know, kind of a down year a bit in the league, at least in the bottom part of the league, to rebound and be the number six seed out of 12 teams. Hey, if the Vikings were the sixth best team in the NFC, they would get in the playoffs. And guess what? Their division does not look very good. We've thought that for a while. We've seen that so far already. So, we can't give up on this yet, and I'm certain that they're not giving up on this yet. They signed Dalton Reisner, the uh, the offensive guard, to, to kind of bolster that attack. That's just this week. We'll see how much he plays this week. But they're, not, they're obviously not giving up on things right now. I don't think they would even be tempted to give up yet at 0-3. But will, would it have a cascading effect if they lost this game? I think it's quite possible they, that it could. If they win this game, on the other hand, it could have a cascading effect in the effect in the other direction. They start thinking, okay, we're one and two. The season didn't quite start how we wanted it to, but plenty of time left to get back into it, especially in a weak division. So this Sunday's game feels like a very 
big one to me, maybe a bit of a crossroads for this team and by extension the franchise and the future direction of it. Maybe that's a little bit dramatic for this early in the season, but I really don't think so. That's what it feels like to me in this moment. That will do it for me today in this moment. Good stuff coming up tomorrow with Randy Johnson talking go for football. Probably got some twins talk later this week and maybe some wild talk next week. Gosh, they hit the ice on Thursday for the first time in, uh, in, in, you know, kind of the, the start of training camp. They're starting preseason games with just a few days after that. I love the NHL. It's like drop the pucks, get out there. Let's just go play the games. They don't need much of a warm up. They just start playing these preseason games right away. Bless the NHL for doing that. But these seasons are converging. It is the season of convergence. Wolves season will be here before we know it. Twins playoffs, Vikings, Gophers, everything coming our way. So plenty to talk about in future shows. But that'll do it today. I'm Michael Rand. Back at it again tomorrow. Tomorrow.